What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan, one of the pastors at Renaissance. Welcome to our online church. About a decade ago, I was playing basketball with some friends, and I went for a rebound, even though I'm not the tallest guy. And when I took my hand out of the mix, my finger was completely sideways. I realized that I had dislocated it, and I did what any intelligent man would do. I went to my friend on the sidelines and asked him to put it back in place. Apparently, that made things even worse because not only was it dislocated, but I also think I ruptured some tendons in the process. I went to the hospital and they put this little plastic splint on my finger. The doctor told me that for the next eight weeks, you're going to have to just keep your finger in place. I looked like an AKA for eight weeks straight. Uh, after I got the splint taken off, the doctor examined my hand and uh, looked at everything and said, everything looks pretty good. Your finger is healed. You just need to go to physical therapy for uh, about six sessions to regain the movement of your hand. It was just my pinky. I figured how difficult could it be? I got to the physical therapy center and as I was there, I was seeing people come back from major injuries, uh, hip replacements, uh, knee replacements. There was a, a man who was an amputee who was doing physical therapy there and I was there for my pinky. It's one of those things where you almost want to lie while you're, you almost want to lie while you're even there. But I remember the first day of starting my physical therapy and it was one of the most painful experiences I've ever felt. The physical therapist told me to put my hand in some rice and just to move my finger. But since it had been stuck in the same place for so long, it was one of the most painful moments that I've ever endured in my life. Here I was, sweating, tears may or may not have been coming out of my eyes, and it was really pretty miserable. And I told the physical therapist, something must be wrong because there's no way my hand is supposed to be hurting like this. I think I'm making it worse, or I think it must not have healed uh, correctly the first time. What my physical therapist told me is something that I want to tell you today. She looked at me and said, Jordan, don't confuse the pain of an injury with the pain of progress. There are some times and some moments in our life where the thing that we need to do to go forward, to recover, to grow, actually is difficult and painful. Now, for the next number of weeks, we're going to be in a book of the Bible called Philippians. And Philippians is all about how do you and I discover this thing in the Bible called joy. The things that we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be difficult for some of you to do and to put into practice but I don't want you to confuse the pain of injury with the pain of progress. Sometimes progress hurts. Sometimes progress itself is difficult, but it doesn't mean that you and I should stop short of doing what is prescribed for us. Now, Philippians is written by a man named Paul, and Paul gives us some prescriptions in this book on how you and I can discover real joy in our lives. And even if it's difficult, I want you to do it. And I want you just to just trust me for a couple of weeks and put these things into practice because it's really going to help us uncover real joy in our life. But before we get into even what Paul is telling us to do, I want to take a look at what joy is in the first place. Joy is not happiness, right? Happiness is what I feel when I have a box of Cheez-Its in my hand. But happiness comes and goes and sometimes comes again. This past week, I was heading into my kitchen. I saw the Cheez-Its in the, in the cabinet. I was hyped until I picked it up and the box was like super light 
and I knew someone had just punished the box and put it back in there with like three Cheez-Its remaining, and I was not happy again. So happiness can come, happiness can go in a span of 10 seconds. When the Bible talks about joy, it's not talking about just a mere feeling that you feel. It's talking about something more settled. Now, all throughout the Bible, it talks about this concept of joy, and uh, the writer of Hebrews says that before Jesus himself was crucified, it says in Hebrews 12 and 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When scripture talks about joy, it's not saying that Jesus was happy to be crucified. It's talking about something much different and much bigger and better uh, than that. Joy, one good definition of it that I found is that joy is a settled state of confidence and hope. Joy is a settled state of confidence and hope. This is one passage of scripture that if you grew up going to church or if you've ever read some Bible stories, you might have heard about the one of David and Goliath in uh, the book of the Bible called 1 Samuel, when it talks about after David killed Goliath and went into town, it says, when he returned from killing the Philistine, he was met with joy and dancing. There was a settled confidence about what had happened that David had done that made them all at ease. Their enemy, the Philistine, was defeated. And as a result, they can look back with confidence based on what had happened, and they could look forward with hope. Their enemy, this big Goliath, had been defeated. So joy is a settled state of confidence and hope. It looks backwards to get confidence, and it looks forward with hope. Now, Philippians is a really interesting book because it's written about joy, and the setting of it is pretty remarkable because it's written by Paul, uh, a man who was a follower of Jesus, and he writes it from prison. He's talking about joy, how you and I can get it, what it is in our life, and he's writing about these things in the worst environment imaginable. This is before human rights existed. Paul was chained to a prison guard all day long. He had no access to, to sunlight. He was uh, miserable, uh, terrible food, terrible conditions, extremely inhumane. And he's writing this, this book of the Bible, this letter to this, to this church in Philippi about joy. And it's an interesting concept. And here's the thing about that. If Paul could have joy and discover joy in prison for being wrongly accused of something that he did not do, then you and I could find joy right now in our moments of life. Now, really quickly, joy is also not dismissive of current realities. When Paul is talking to the people in Philippi, he's not asking them to pretend like everything he's going through or whatever they're going through doesn't matter. Joy does not dismiss uh, current sadness or current realities. I have family members right now who are in the hospital fighting, their fighting for their lives, and joy is not something that is meant to dismiss the reality of the moment. Joy is not meant to make people uh, pretend like there's not pain or pretend like they're not feeling great deals of worry and anxiety about what's going on. So joy can kind of coexist with pain. The only thing joy can't coexist with is hopelessness. What is hopelessness? Hopelessness is this feeling that nothing matters because it's all gonna go badly anyway. Nothing matters because no one cares about me. Hopelessness is much different than sadness. After my late wife passed away from cancer about uh, nine years ago, 
I'll never forget talking to one of these super Christians who had to remind me to give God praise and thanks for everything that was going on uh, in my life because God had been good to me and good to my late wife. And I was like, dude, she passed away like three days ago. Read the room a little bit and relax. Uh, you can feel joy and feel sadness at the same time. The only thing you can experience at the same time is joy and hopelessness. Jesus picks up on this, actually, where he's talking about uh, what we, something I mentioned last week, uh, a woman giving uh, birth to a child. In John 16 and 21, Jesus says this, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. What Jesus is saying is that joy does not forget pain. It doesn't dismiss pain. Joy overwhelms pain. So what Paul is telling us in this book of Philippians and what we're going to look into each week on how we can cultivate it in our lives, it's not something that is small. It's not meaningless like happiness. And it's also not something that's dismissive where we ignore the current situations that we're in or any painful predicaments that we may be experiencing. Secondly, and where we're going to spend the rest of today, is that it's possible to cultivate joy in your life. You don't have to be someone who is predisposed to having this settled state of confidence and hope in your life. Joy is something that you can grow. And we're going to look at for the rest of today and the rest of this series, ways from the scripture in Philippians that you and I can cultivate and grow joy in our life. And here's what Paul is telling us to do. And this might be the thing that's difficult for you in this moment. But again, don't confuse the pain of injury with the pain of progress. If this is difficult for you to do, do it anyway, no matter what, because there's joy on the other end of this. One of the most interesting things about this period of time right now is that previous sources of hope, of confidence, have been taken away from us. For some of you, it's relationally. For some of you, it's physically. For some of you, it's financially. But whatever way it is for you, previous sources that gave you confidence and made you feel hopeful, those are gone. And in some ways, right now, it's a gift handed to us on a platter that now we can discover what the real thing is and what the real source is all along that God wants us to have. I grew up, you know, having had steaks. My parents probably took me and my brother to Sizzler or something or Ground Round, one of those old restaurants that's no longer in business. And growing up, I had tasted steaks, but I'll never forget my first real steak at a real steakhouse with ridiculous prices. And the first bite into that steak, I was ruined. I was never gonna go back to the old thing ever again. Now that I had tasted the real thing, I was never gonna go backwards. Here's my hope. Even in a period where things have been taken away from us, we would taste and see the real thing that God wants us to have. And in having this, we'll never go backwards. So today we're talking about how do we cultivate joy from the book of Philippians. And the first thing that I want us to see comes from verse three in the first chapter in something called gratitude. Here's what Paul says in verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is in a prison cell, unsure if he's going to be executed. And this is how he starts the letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul is starting out with this practice, this discipline 
of gratitude, of giving thanksgiving. And uh, us developing real joy in our lives is the product of constant, intentional gratitude. That if you want to be a person who grows to be mature in faith, you need to be the type of man or woman that learns how to practice gratitude. Here's the thing about gratitude. It's not optional. If you want to be a person who develops and, and grows closer to God, uh, deepens your, your faith in him, gratitude is a practice that you're going to have to put into place no matter how uncomfortable or um, seemingly meaningless it might be to you. It is a pathway to joy. Paul tells us in another scripture in 1 Thessalonians, uh, this is the will of God for your life, my brothers and sisters. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with people about, man, I wonder what God's will is for my life, for this job, for this relationship. I wonder what God's will is for my life. And here's what Paul is saying. Here's what God's will is for your life, that you give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it's very important to note that Paul does not say to give thanks for all things, but rather in all things. So he's not saying you should give thanks for the coronavirus. He's saying in every single situation, there is something that there is a piece of you that can still practice their spiritual discipline called gratitude. Now, Paula, again, is in a prison cell writing this letter, and he starts off with with gratitude. He's following his own biblical advice that in all circumstances, you are to give thanks. Now, I know that even though scripture is telling us that in all situations, we should give thanks because this is God's will for our lives. I, I know that it's really difficult for some people. For some of you guys, you're in, the, you're in the crucible, you're in the fire, and life is just really, really, really painful for you. And even though the Bible says and scripture says to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life, I don't want you to miss this opportunity also to grieve. For those of you who are not in the middle of the hottest of the hot fires of life and, and challenges, this is something I want you to put into practice, no matter how painful it is. Because again, I don't want you to confuse the pain of an injury with the pain of progress. Sometimes what makes giving thanks really difficult is just the, the difficulty of the moment, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to give thanks when the job is working, the relationships are working, we're not in a national and international pandemic. And there's something about just the, the difficulties of life, which kind of lock us in a little bit and make it really difficult for us to even find the things to be thankful for. We just have less options on our table in front of us to be thankful. Sometimes it's not even external things, but sometimes it's actually internal things. One of the biggest things I've seen rob people of gratitude and their ability to be thankful is comparison. Here's the thing about comparison. There is no win in comparison. Comparison only has two exits, pride or discouragement. Either if you compare yourself to someone, either you will find yourself prideful that you feel better than them or discouraged that you don't have everything that they have. One of the things I found to be so true is that it's not even what you have, it's what you have compared to someone else that makes things challenging. Imagine when this pandemic is over, you get an email from your preferred airline that says you have won a round trip to anywhere on the, on the planet. You can go anywhere you want to. You enter the sweepstakes and you find out that your one in a million chance of winning it 
won and you get this email and find out that you have won this round trip, uh, free round trip to anywhere on the planet and you're just on cloud nine. Now imagine you go on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter and find out that one of your friends has also won this, but theirs is, is business class. So you're going to be in row 43C in the middle aisle with your knees in your chest, but they're going to be in the lay flat business seats. Now, what would have made you really excited and happy is going to be evaporated within 10 seconds. Why? Because you're no longer receiving a trip? No, you still have the trip. But now if you compare what you just got to someone else, it will diminish the joy and the experience that you have with that. And you're less likely to be thankful. Here's what I want you to do. Every time you, you catch yourself comparing yourself to someone else, your situation, your relationships, your financial um, situation, whatever it is in your life, I want you to kind of quote these scriptures in Ecclesiastes, which talk about comparison is the same thing as chasing after the wind. You'll never catch the wind. And this is what the Bible tells us about comparison, is that to engage in it is like you're chasing after the wind. So when you catch yourself comparing yourself to someone else, your situation, good or bad, I want you to tell yourself, you know what? I'm just chasing after the wind. I'll never catch it. This will never lead to anything good in my life. So sometimes it's the difficulty of the moment. Other times it's actually us comparing ourselves that robs us of the ability to be grateful and to practice what Paul tells us here in scripture about uh, in all situations, in all circumstances, give thanks because this is the will of God in our lives. I think the last thing that makes thankfulness so hard and gratitude so difficult in our life is because we're addicted to it. We just have this thing inside of us that is addicted to complaining. Here's what I know to be true about life. Everything you do, you'll get better at it over time, good or bad. Whatever it is that you're doing, you'll get better at it over time. Complaining is the same way, and thankfully for us, gratitude is the same way. In your brain right now, there are neural connectors that are being formed and reformed. The more you practice complaining, the more easy, the easier it will be for you to complain and to find the negative in situations. The opposite is also true. The more you practice gratitude, the more the neural pathways in your brain will be being built, bridges being built in your brain so that gratitude and thanksgiving are something that comes more and more easily. For some of you, you need to empower some of your friends to tell you every time they catch you complaining and to say, just stop me dead in my tracks so that I can make sure I'm following after what scripture is telling me to do that in all situations, in all circumstances, to give thanks because this is God's will for you in my life. And we will find it birthing something, creating something inside of us that leads towards real joy in our lives. So Paul tells us that we are to be thankful people. Now, if you're comparing yourself, stop doing that. Uh, but sometimes we can't undo the difficulties of the moment. We can't make life easier. We have to endure difficult things. So then, then how could you be thankful? How could you find thanks in the middle of a, of a pandemic? Now, what Paul is talking about here in Philippians is not just a list of gratitude, although that's a good thing to do. My wife has been every single day on her Instagram finding one thing to do every single day, that some, finding something from every one of her days that made her grateful, that was something that she can give thanks for. In the difficult moments, 
I think there's just an emotional health component that says gratitude is a good thing. But what Paul is talking about here is bigger than just emotional health. He's talking about God working in us to, to look back on him, on Jesus, on God's work in our life that will give us a confidence. And then that same thing would also lead us to having a future hope. Here's one scripture that has been giving me this hope this week. And scripture is going to be your primary tool, the primary way that you and I are able to engage God and find ways that lead us towards gratitude and thanksgiving. One of the things that we are highly encouraging for people who don't know how to engage with scripture is to head to our YouTube channel and to look for our How to Read the Bible classes that give us an introduction into the biblical world and a little framework so that you and I can engage the Bible more routinely because we need God's words in our lives to remind us of the confidence that we have and the hope that we can have going forward so that we can develop joy in our lives. Here's the scripture that's been giving me joy and in your community groups this week, in your conversations this week with friends and family members, I want you to be thinking about scriptures that lead you to joy, this settled state of confidence and hope. What are these scriptures that can push you in that way so you can uh, have some gratitude in your life? For me, this week it's Hebrews 4, 5, 15 through 16, where he says, for we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, and this is what hit me uh, this week. He says that God sympathizes with our weaknesses. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who is like really judgmental and you just feel like you can't be your real self around them because you just feel like you have to live up to this standard that you can't quite reach. And the entire time being near them, you just feel like they're looking down on you. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. God doesn't look at you like that. God can sympathize with your weaknesses. One of my friends uh, has been dealing with some issues and one of the biggest issues that he's dealing with now is in his marriage. And we were talking a couple of weeks ago and he mentioned that even though uh, she doesn't say it out loud. He just feels judged by her all the time based on some of his weaknesses and shortcomings. When he and I hopped on the phone, it was a different conversation because I myself have come from that past. I know exactly what it feels like to say you're never going to do something again and then do that same thing. In our conversations, I can sympathize with his weakness. Scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, although he remained without sin, he was tempted in every way, and when he looks at you, he does not look at you with disgust so you can come to him with your real self. In times when I want to beat myself up, and when I read a scripture like this, I say, God, I'm so grateful that you don't look at me with disgust. You don't look down on me. You can understand my weaknesses. You know my shortcomings. I don't have to give you the fake, uh, the fake Jordan. I don't have to put on a false self in front of you. And you know what? That's something that I'm really, really thankful for. When I was thinking about it this week, this is something that I'm just really thankful for. The second thing the scripture leads me to in terms of practicing gratitude is uh, what it says in verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that we can come to God 
boldly. Let me tell you who's bold, little kids. Uh, my kids have no boundaries. Uh, they don't care if I'm writing a sermon, answering emails on a Zoom call. They'll just bust in a room and start climbing on my lap, start interrupting my Zoom calls, and do whatever they want because they're bold. Why are they so bold? Because they know they're the most important things and people in my life. Here's what the scripture is telling us about how God looks at everyone who's placed their faith in Christ. That when God looks at you, he doesn't look down on you for your weaknesses, but rather you can go to him with boldness because you and I are the most important things to him. So important that he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf so that you and I could be connected to him forever. Those are two things that are leading me towards gratitude this week. Uh, and those two things give me confidence about all that God has done for me to make me and him good. And they give me hope for the future that although I do not know everything that my future holds, I don't know what my tomorrow holds. I do know who holds tomorrow. And I know that I can trust him with my life. So what are the things that are giving you confidence and hope? I hope it's some scriptures that are pushing you towards gratitude. And this week, I want you to intentionally over and over and over again, put gratitude and thankfulness into practice and watch it develop joy in your life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you know all of the people watching this online. You know exactly where they are. You know the obstacles they have right in front of them that make them feel like practicing gratitude is either worthless or it's just impossible right now. Father, for those grieving sharp losses, I pray that you would comfort them and meet them where they are. And for others, Lord, I pray that you would push us into the pain of the difficulty of practicing gratitude, into this discipline of practicing gratitude, knowing that we're going to find joy on the other side. Grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.